Good morning, City Light. Yeah, good to see you guys in the room. Good to see you. Well, not see you, but good for you to see us online. Um, it's a joy to worship Jesus with you guys. Um, we've got nine chapters in the Bible to cover this morning, all right? So buckle up, strap in. We're going to go fast. And uh, you got to know around here, we love and we trust the Bible. When it comes to current events and how to respond, man, we trust God's word in the Bible. When it comes to parenting or marriage or living as a single, we trust God's word in the Bible. What do we want to shape our Sunday gatherings? And what do we want to shape it uh, when our city groups are scattered throughout the week? What do we want to ingrain in our heads and our hearts and our actions? God's word in the Bible. This is why on Saturday morning, some guys from a city group get together regularly to hold each other accountable, pray for one another, and study the Bible they love. It's why last weekend, a bunch of ladies in our church got together at the If Gathering to sing to Jesus, connect with one another, and study the Bible we love. And it's why we're covering nine chapters in one morning that is largely about distributing land to ancient tribes in the Middle East. But God is good. We love his word in the Bible. I'll start with this. Um, I believe, and you may agree with me, that among the top 100 movies of all time, I would have to put Despicable Me in that list, all right? Steve Carell was just masterful. The plot line was brilliant and cute, but also odd. And in Despicable Me, the main character, his name's Gru, okay? He's the main character. He's like the world's worst villain who just so happens to adopt three really cute, precious girls, right? And in the movie, Gru makes a promise, okay? The girls are at their ballet lessons, and Gru is sitting right outside the room along with a bunch of ba ballet moms. He's this grumpy villain bad guy hanging out with all these moms. And Agnes, the youngest of the girls, comes out to him and hands him a ticket to their upcoming dance recital. And she says, you are coming, right? And Gru says, sure. But Agnes wants more surety. So she holds out her pinky like a sweet little girl. And she says, pinky promise? And Gru says, oh, yes, my pinky promises. It's this really beautiful moment where he makes a promise to Agnes. Later on in the movie, he barely comes through on that promise. We all love to see promises made, and we want to see promises kept. Just like Agnes, our hearts long for promises made to be promises kept. Just like all the ballet moms, after Gru made his pinky promise, they just swooned, and their uh, faces were filled with smiles, and their eyes were flashing, and they were like, yes, we love to see that. When we see a promise made and a promise kept, our hearts erupt with praise and glass, and we say, that's how it should be. A promise made should be a promise kept. And if there's one single banner over these nine chapters in the book of Joshua, it's this. With God, a promise made is always a promise kept. God is a promise-keeping God. His heart commits. His pinky promises. His word is as sure as the sunrise, stronger than Tyler's biceps, mightier than Mount Crescent ski slopes. I think you get what I'm saying here. God is a promise-keeping God. And isn't this something that we just treasure, right, church? Oh, we need this in our day and age. When so many times a promise made means a promise broken, 
we need to be reminded that with our God, he keeps his promises. So many times when we can just like cancel Netflix because they canceled our favorite show and we just move on to our next favorite streaming service, we need to remember God's not that way. No, God keeps his promises. Maybe for you, you're like me and whenever you have to call customer service and you tell them that what went wrong with your product and they just come up with excuse after excuse for not following through on their commitment, we need to be reminded that our God keeps his promises. And even though in our nation, the divorce rate is at a 50-year low, praise the Lord, we've all seen the pain of broken marriages enough to know we need a God who keeps his promises. And that's what we see this morning in our passage. So if you got your Bibles, jump to the end of our passage. We'll start at the end and work towards and then go back to the beginning. Joshua 21, 45 reads like this. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Not one word failed. All came to pass. I mean, we could pack up right there, uh, finish the sermon, sing some songs for ages just on the glorious good news in this verse. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Now, what does that mean for us? Two things I want to highlight this morning. A promise-keeping God means we keep going. And a promise-keeping God means we pray specifically. Okay, flip back in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13, verse 1, and let's look at a promise-keeping God means we keep going. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. It reads like this. Now, Joshua (laughs) was old and advanced in years. Now, how many of you just slightly cringe at that? Because let's be honest, you're getting a little bit old. You're getting a little advanced in years. And here's the Bible shooting straight with old man Joshua, right? He was old. By this time, he was in his 80s. He had been around the block a few times. He learned a few lessons. He had a few gray hairs. Joshua wasn't just old. He was old and advanced in years. You know what I mean? The verse continues. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. Ouch, right? Like, that's a low blow, man. On my last birthday, I turned 40 years old. And so I kind of am starting to feel old a little bit, like my body doesn't quite move like it used to. My joints are a little creaky, you know. And so I'm kind of starting to feel old. It's one thing for me to start feeling old. It's a whole other thing when God says to your face, you're old, Joshua. You know what I mean? Obviously, God is trying to make a point here. He's repeating and highlighting to us that Joshua is old. Joshua isn't fresh out of college and full of energy to go change the world. Joshua isn't a teenager dreaming with all the movies he's going to make or the books she's going to write or the friends they'll lead to Jesus or the children they'll rescue and adopt into their family, right? Joshua isn't in that stage of life where the world is wide open and he might as well just shoot for the moon. Joshua is old and advanced in years, and God said it to his face. But the verse isn't done. God isn't done. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you were old and advanced in years, and there remains yet, there remains yet very much land to possess. In other words, Joshua, you're old, but I still got work for you to do. 
Joshua, your joints are creaky and you need bifocals. I know you just ran to Walgreens and got those cheap reading glasses. You're getting to that age, but I've got promises to keep and I want to keep them through you. A promise-keeping God means we keep going. We never give up. We never sideline. Maybe you're young and you're full of dreams of all you want to do in this world. God's got promises to keep through you. Maybe you're a little bit older and you've gotten married, you got some kids and you're not sleeping at night. God's got promises he wants to keep through you. Maybe your kids are grown and out of the house and you're empty nesting it. God's still got promises he wants to keep through you. Or maybe you're at that stage where your grandkids are calling you and trying to teach you how to FaceTime on that smartphone that they bought for you. God still got promises he wants to keep through you. A promise-keeping God means we keep going. We keep chasing after Jesus, following hard after God at every age and every stage of life. Now, this like old people doing awesome stuff with God theme, it continues into Joshua chapter 14, where we reconnect with a really cool character named Caleb. Caleb was about the same age as Joshua. They were Old. And when Joshua was distributing the land to the 12 tribes of Israel, Caleb steps up and he speaks to Joshua. Chapter 14, verse 6. Caleb says, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. Okay, now just get this picture. Here's two old guys, and they're reminiscing. They're going, Man, remember when the Lord spoke back in the day? Remember when God made us that promise and he said he would come through on that for us? You remember that? That's what's happening here. Caleb continues, and down in verse 8, Caleb says, I wholly followed the Lord my God. He's saying that when he was younger, he wholly followed the Lord his God. No wishy-washy, halfway in, halfway out, playing games with God. No, when he was younger, he was wholly following the Lord his God. He continues in verse 10. And now behold... The Lord has kept me alive. Some of y'all, that's like your life verse right there. The Lord kept you alive, right? The Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in that day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Caleb's saying, man, I'm still just as strong, and I'm still just as passionate for God and his promises as I was in my 40s, as I was in my 20s. Man, I am not done yet. He continues, verse 12. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Caleb is saying God might still want to do some work through me. God's got some promises to keep and he wants to keep them through me. And Caleb here, he isn't asking like for some backcountry, easy peasy, super quiet land. No, the Anakim, They were like the giants. They were the biggest and the baddest people in the land yet to be conquered. And here's Caleb, an 85-year-old, like, growling pit bull for God. Let me at them, right? I want to see God keep some promises through me. That's who I want to be at 85 years old. Isn't that who you want to be at 85 years old? That God might still be doing that sort of stuff, and I'm still expecting God to be doing that sort of stuff through me at 85 
Hear this, college students, teenagers, children, catch a vision for your life here in Caleb and Joshua. Don't just live for today. Don't just live for tomorrow even. No, live to be an 85-year-old, sold out for Jesus, promise-seeking, hungry for more of God, old person, all right? Live for that, man. God's got promises to keep, and he will keep them, so you keep on going. Set your life on a trajectory of God-faithfulness today because you know he's going to be faithful um, through your life. And if you're in your 50s, your 60s, 70s, 80s, we could keep on going. Listen, I may not have the age or experience to speak this with leverage to you, but Joshua does and Caleb does. God's not done with you. This is not the age to pull back and withdraw into the background. This is not the age to trade in your passion for God and his purposes and his promises and pick up passivity or fear. No, this is your age. This is your stage of life to say, you know what? I've seen God keep some promises. I've seen him come through for me when I needed him most. I've seen him come through on his word, and he's got more promises to keep through me. A promise-keeping God means we keep going. Some of you young and old people say amen. Amen, right? I think of my dear friend Arnie and his beloved wife, Peg. Um, Arnie isn't exactly young, okay? He's in his 70s, just had open-heart surgery recently, and he serves our church as an elder. And throughout their years, Arnie and Peg, God has used them to help plant uh, a few churches here in Council Bluffs and Omaha, and they've made a difference in a lot of churches. Well, recently, probably about six years ago, I would say, Arnie was out in his shed doing some work, and the Holy Spirit of God showed up. And the Holy Spirit said to him, Arnie, I've got one more church for you to help plant. It was just clear, right? The Spirit was speaking to him. So he goes and he tells Peg, his wife, and then they reach out to me while I was back on staff at City Light Omaha, and we meet up, and they tell me the story of how the Holy Spirit showed up and spoke to Arnie. They've got one more church to help plant. And here I was, this younger person sitting across from this older, wiser couple, and their faces are beaming. They are hungry for Jesus, and they're like ready to go plant another church. And they didn't say, hey, Doug, will you come plant this church? They just wanted to get together and tell me the story and talk about what God was doing in them and what God was saying to them. But man, Arnie's passion and Peg's persistence, God used that to inspire me and my wife, Whitney. And God used that to inspire Eric and his wife, Sarah. And then we came to her and we said, let's go plant a church in the city of Council Bluffs for the glory of God. And here we are, City Light. Here you are. And my good friend, old man Arnie, he's still going, you know. He's studying the Bible with young men. He's multiplying disciples. Arnie and his wife, Peg, have led and multiplied like five or six city groups just since our church got started. A promise-keeping God means we keep going. I think of my friend Ruby. Um, her husband passed away a little over a year ago. And that was hard. It was sad. It was rough. And now Ruby's also raising her own grandchildren in her house, but she continues to pursue Jesus and she pulls away and gets time with some ladies, younger ladies to mentor them and disciple them and study the Bible together. Keep on going, Ruby. I think of my friend Ron, who is our student ministry director. You've got to know, Ron has been doing youth ministry for over 40 years. 
impacting generations. One of the young men that he led to Christ when he was a teenager is now an elder in our church. But Ron just keeps working to influence the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Keep going, Ron. And honestly, guys, I think of our church, like our own church here. Um, We started, and right out of the gate, we had like three years of wedded bliss as a church. (laughs) It was like this extended honeymoon season. It was awesome and wild and crazy and fun. It was like a snowball of momentum. And then last year happened, right? And we all know last year was, well, it was last year. You know, it was difficult for you and your world and your family. It was difficult for me and my world and my family. It was difficult for our church and it jacked with our sense of momentum as a church. So many city groups are going, okay, what do we do now? Do we keep meeting? Do we not meet? Do we go to Zoom? Do we cancel? What do we do? Our Sunday gatherings like felt and sometimes still feel a little different. Like where's that one person I used to see? Haven't seen them in over a year. Where's all the chairs? Why do we have to eat these weird wafers and drink the extra sugary juice for communion? Like what has happened to our church? But City Light, make no mistake, God's not done with us yet. Listen, we may not be as old as Caleb, but we're also not really young anymore. But we are still a church plant. Hear those words, church plant. We are a young, scrappy, messy, hungry for Jesus church plant with a mission to multiply disciples and churches. That's why by God's grace, we still got to plant a church last year right in the middle of the pandemic across town in West Council Bluffs. That's why now you're hearing us talk about city groups and saying, hey, we're launching a new city group. Jump in a city group. Discover a family to belong to. That's why we keep calling you. Join a serving team. We are not a church to consume, to come hear good sermons and leave. We're a church to contribute to and own and make a difference in. That's why we're taking big risk for Easter and going big to reach as many people as possible with the good news of Jesus Christ. We believe God still has promises to keep and he wants to keep them through us, City Light. He wants to keep them through you. A promise-keeping God means we keep on going. Amen? Amen. That's the first point. Now, second point, transition. A promise-keeping God means we pray specifically. A promise-keeping God means we pray specifically. Really, the best way to show this to you biblically is just to encourage you to try to read these nine chapters in Joshua. And notice, as you read, how detailed and specific they are in their description of the lands that the tribes were inheriting. You know when you go to purchase a house, And you have to sign the deed that has like a description of the land that you are purchasing. That's largely what these nine chapters in Joshua are. A detailed, accurate, specific description of the land. God is a good father who wants his children to know exactly, specifically, the gifts that he is giving them. Let me highlight one detail that stood out to me. Joshua chapter 17 Verses 3 and 4. They read like this. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons. Okay, so we've got son of, son of, son of, no sons. That's different. But only daughters. 
And these are the names of his daughters. Malah, Noah, Haglah, Milcah, Tirzah. They approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the leaders and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. Okay, here's what's happening. In this time in history, all of the land ownership and the like inheritance passing along, it always went through the men. It went through the sons. So in that sort of culture, what happens when a dad only has daughters, when he only has girls? This situation originally popped up way back in Numbers chapter 27, when Zelophehad's daughters asked this question. Back in Numbers 27, Moses took it straight to God, and God said, let's see, the Lord said to Moses, the daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them, to the girls, to the daughters. I mean, this was staggering and unheard of in cultures at that time, to transfer inheritance to the daughters. And so that was God's promise back in Numbers 27. And now here in Joshua 17, we see God follow through on that promise. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them, the daughters, an inheritance among the brothers of their father. God remembered every last promise. God remembered every last commitment that he made. Every last pinky promise, he came through on it, even and especially for these precious women. Hear this, God isn't the kind of God who just generally or generically keeps his promises. God is the kind of God who specifically keeps his promises. Isn't that what Joshua 21 verse 45 is saying so clearly to us? Not one of all the good promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel failed. All of them came to pass. So if God keeps his promises in a specific way, then we can be the kind of people who relate to him specifically. We can be the kind of people who pray to him specifically. Do you remember those old comment cards at restaurants whenever you uh, used to go to restaurants? And they would be like little postcard size. And you could grab one and maybe like write in a suggestion to add to the menu or file a complaint. And then whenever you're leaving the restaurant, you would just drop it in like a little box on your way out. It was their attempt to try to hear from you, but it was pretty generic. It was pretty impersonal. Or maybe now you might get a survey sent to your email after you buy something from a store on Amazon. Or you go eat somewhere like, hey, how was our service on a scale of one to five? How, when do you think you'll come back? Those sorts of surveys. It's their attempt to hear from us. But again, it's pretty generic. It's impersonal. God isn't like that. God in his promise keeping is specific and personal. And therefore, the way we communicate with him, the way we talk to him and listen to him, the way we share our hearts with him, our hopes with him, our hurts and our complaints, our desires and our dreams, the way we pray can and should be specific. I'll share an illustration from our family's life. When God called us to help plant this church here in Council Bluffs, we knew we would sell our house in Omaha and move over here to Council Bluffs. And so my wife put together a detailed, specific prayer list of all the things she wanted or believed we needed in our new house. 
Okay? She wrote out this prayer list, very specific, and she would just consistently and faithfully pray through that prayer list. And whenever we'd go look at a house, she's praying through her prayer list. Whenever we're walking through another house, she's praying through her prayer list. Now, you got to know, on her prayer list were 17 things that she thought we needed or wanted in a house. Now, you may be just as full, as faith, uh, full of faith as she was, but I wasn't, okay? I was like, babe, uh, you know... 17, that's cool and all, but we probably shouldn't be really picky about this. Shouldn't we just be grateful for whatever God chooses to give us? And she's like, well, you don't have to pray for it, but I'm going to pray for it. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. We go through a bunch of houses. A little while later, a good friend of ours, Chuck, who planted the church in West CB, he called me. He said, Doug, I think I just drove past your future house. I was like, oh, really? So we set up a showing. It was for sale by owner. We go and we walk through the house, walk on the land. Whitney's got her prayer journal out, you know, looking at all her 17 things. And this house checked all 17 boxes. But it was out of our price range. We're like, 17 out of 17? That's cool. That's awesome. But we still got to be wise. We can't enter into something financially unwise, especially when we're planting a church. So we walked away from the house, left it there, cried for a few nights, and hoped that our house in Omaha would sell. Three long months later, there was a hot housing market then too. Three long months later, our house in Omaha finally sold. And Whitney said, well, we should just call that house we love anyway, just to see if it's still on the market. Well, we call the owner. And the owner says, it is still in the market. And in those three long months for us, there were three long months for her too. She had a couple buyers uh, express commitment, but then their financing fell through. So she was more than happy to reapproach the negotiating table, drastically drop her price to well within our price range. And we got to buy the house and move into a house that Whitney specifically prayed for. 17 out of 17 things. Can I ask you, what are you specifically praying for? Now, I'm not saying go make your list and say, oh, God, give me that cherry red Corvette that goes from zero to 60. No, not, not quite so much that. Don't, like, pray specifically and ask for the winning lotto numbers. Don't go pull the lever on the slot machines while you're praying specifically. I'm not saying that, okay? Maybe some examples could help here. Maybe instead of praying something like, God, would you please help with world hunger? Maybe we could pray something like this. Father, would you lead our city group to a local food pantry we could partner with? And would you help us raise over 100 pounds of food donations to give that food pantry? You see how that's praying specifically for God to come through? Or, or maybe instead of praying something like, Father, just help all the sick people feel better. Maybe you could pray something like this. Father, the next time someone in my company calls in sick and they can't come into work, give me the courage and give me the eyes and the love to see them and maybe text them or email them or call them and just express a simple prayer of healing for whatever they're going through. You see how that's praying specifically into a situation and then you get to see God specifically answer prayers. Since God specifically keeps his promises, then let's pray specifically. Let's relate to him specifically. I'll close like this. God kept his most important promise to us when he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be born into our world, to live a perfect life, to die a death that, frankly, all of us deserved instead of Jesus, and to raise from the dead victoriously. God's forever promise was forever fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's good news. That's the gospel. But can I challenge you this morning? 
to make God's promise keeping, how he kept his promise in the gospel of Jesus, make God's promise keeping specific and personal to you. Can I challenge you to believe not only that God sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world, that's true, I challenge you to believe that God sent Jesus to die for you. Specific. You. Your story. Your faults and failures. Your sins and your slip-ups. Your hopes. Your dreams. Your redemption. Your salvation. Your eternal life in Jesus. Can you believe that God sent Jesus for you specifically? The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he's been writing about the glorious and global gospel of Jesus Christ that impacts the world. But in chapter 2, verse 20, he zooms in and he makes it personal. He makes it specific to himself. It reads like this, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Absolutely, God sent Jesus for the world. And just as absolutely, God sent Jesus for you. City Light, our God is a promise-keeping God, and we can make it personal. God keeps his promises to you in and through Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus gave himself for you. With God, in Jesus, a promise made, is always a promise kept. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father God, we ask that you would help us to see your promises. I pray that you'd be bringing specific biblical promises to mind, even now to your children, to your people. Promises like you will never leave them, you will never forsake them, you will always provide for them. Whenever they go through the waters or the fire, you will go with them. You will provide for all their needs. Oh, Father, would you bring these specific promises to mind? And may we hang on to them. May we say, okay, God's still got some promises to keep through, through me. God still has some people to reach through me, some churches to plant, some disciples to make, and he wants to use me in doing that. Go into all the world and make disciples, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. And then, Father, I also pray, as I was reading um, Joshua 14 earlier, and Joshua and Caleb are remembering a very specific word you spoke to them from 45 years earlier. And something just like triggered in my spirit. That there might be some people here this morning that are remembering and thinking, God spoke a specific word to me, and it was decades ago. There's a word he assured you with. There's a promise he made to you. And it's been a long time, and you're wondering, is he going to come through on that? It's felt like 45 years. Will God ever show up and do this? And Father, I pray for those friends. Oh, would you give them sweet and gentle and humble faith in your word? That you are committed, that you promise that you will not renege on that word or walk away from them. And would you give them fresh courage to chase after you and that promise you made to them decades ago. I pray for the older generations in our church. Oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am deeply grateful that we have older generations in our church who contribute, who lead, who serve 
who set an example for others of us. Jesus, thank you for them. Would you inspire them with the characters of Joshua and Caleb, the faithfulness of Jesus all the way to the cross? Would you give them fresh vision for what you want to do in this chapter of their life? Father, I pray for the younger generations in our church. Would you give us eyes to see the example set by Joshua and Caleb, the example set by Jesus himself, who went all the way through, finished the task, accomplished all that you gave him to do. And may we set our lives on a trajectory, not just to have a good day or have a good week, but to grow old with a passion for Jesus, sustaining us all the way through it. We can't do that on our own. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We need your power, Holy Spirit. Would you do it in us? Would you do it through us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.